0: Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay.
1: And I'm Mike from the Atkins Undisputed
0: Podcast. And we're here to review Rapid Fire, starring Brandon Lee, Powers Booth, Nick Mancuso, Raymond J. Berry, Kate Hodge, Al Leong, and C-Mob. Directed by Dwight H. Little, released in 1992, grossed $14.4 million at the box office, and made Brandon Lee a straight-up action star in the footsteps of his famous father. And, you know, Mike, we're gonna we're going to spend a few minutes talking about how lousy it is that we don't have more Brandon Lee in our lives, and we we all know why. Uh, And you can listen to Brian and I talk about that on The Crow. But first off, welcome back to Filmstrip, man, and tell folks about all the cool stuff you got going on over at Atkins Undisputed. Happy to
1: be back. Always a pleasure, Jay. I love talking to you. Um, Yeah, so uh, again, for those who haven't listened to episodes I've been on before, I host uh, uh, Adkins Undisputed, the most complete Scott Adkins podcast in the world, where I am going through movie by movie, his career, uh, and periodically am joined by him to talk about his movies as well as guests every week. Jay, you've been a guest on the show before uh, when we talked about the, I think, vastly underappreciated, the tournament. And uh, and yeah, and, and I've actually crossed the halfway point. I know what my next project's going to be, but I'm not quite ready to announce it to the world yet. Uh, but I will say that the first thing I am going to do primarily inspired because of this is i will be doing when adkins ends a short miniseries in the same format on the films of Brandon Lee starting with Kung Fu the movie going all the way to The Crow which means I have to cover Laser Mission which is uh, unfortunately (laughs) not great but luckily I've got somebody who graciously volunteered already to, to handle that one there you go still part of the Dana Buckler show as well although Dana is consistently insanely busy and so we haven't recorded together but we're not it's not for any reason other than just a matter of time he's super busy with the fun for life radio stuff i adkins is taking up far more of my life than i was expecting and we both have day jobs so um you know we'll get back to it at some point though
0: absolutely well always exciting to hear what you've got going on in adkins and it is such a fun podcast to be to be a part of and to listen to because again it introduces uh, i think a lot of people to movies that they may not have thought of they hadn't heard of hadn't seen and it really blows my mind how big that guy's oeuvre is. Uh, and it's it's impressive, like it really is. And the fun parts, Mike, when you have him on and he chops it up with you too, that's always a really cool thing.
1: Yeah, you know, people always say, don't meet your heroes. And uh, I don't, I can't say that that's true in this case, that, <laughs> that I've had nothing but a blast talking to him. He's been very gracious. Uh, we have shifted gears a little bit. He won't be appearing on every episode um, because it was just, I think it was, he's too busy and it was kind of getting us bogged down so what you'll see instead is is some of the really big movies things like avengement stuff like that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about them rather than just trying to spend 10 minutes on every movie it was more it's more fun to spend 45 minutes on avengement than 10 minutes on you know incoming or or some other movies that that maybe don't work quite as well as that one so
0: no, abs- absolutely. Look, if I ever had a chance to interview somebody like Henry Cavill, I would not ask him questions about the Hellraiser movie he was in. And, you know, I, I might ask him one or two, but I'm going to spend a lot more time on The Witcher and all these other cool things that he's in. And what was it like to have his pocket square just randomly appear in a mission box? <laughs> exactly. Movie. Yeah. To, to be a meme. And <laughs> he's in like three memes anyway. Uh, but yeah, rapid fire on this one. I'll, I'll go and tell you now, I do remember seeing this one uh, on video. It was definitely a rental for me. I was in high school. When this came out, I knew who Brandon Lee was, though, because if you were paying attention to movies at all, I grew up watching Bruce Lee movies. My brother and I were really big into those. I mean, who wasn't, right? And and in our age bracket. And so I knew he had a son that was coming up and I had seen Showdown Little Tokyo and I knew he was coming into things. And so when this came on the video store, I was like, oh, yeah, this looks awesome. And another name that got me was Powers Booth. I am a total Powers Booth stand and this podcast will stand for no other things but love for that man. Uh, and the incredible work he he put out in his life, too. But I've never seen him in something where I disliked him. I don't know that he was always in good movies, but he always gave a really fun performance. And so when I saw that name on the thing, I said, oh, I'm in. So I ran to this sucker, watched it, remember it fondly. But it, it's been decades, Mike, since I thought about this one. And you suggested it. So, so when I asked you to come and do film strip, you threw rapid fire out. Why, why rapid fire?
1: Because uh, I love this movie. This is one of my very fa- very favorite movies of all time. We did the the Battleship discussion with Rob, and I thought we w- had a lot of fun talking about that movie. We did Rain of Fire. Uh, you know, those are movies that I enjoy and I like. This is truly one of my very favorite movies. I, much like you, was a big Bruce Lee fan. I've said many times, uh, I have an uncle who got me into Bruce Lee. And so when I found out that he had a son who was getting into acting, I was all over that, and and that was uh, really right before I found out that Showdown in Little Tokyo was coming out. And I we won't get into all these movies, but I saw that one as soon as I could and was blown away. So then, when Rapid Fire came out, this was actually a day one in the theater, maybe even first nice. showing for me. I, I was super excited, and and frankly, could not have been more satisfied and happy uh, with with what I got. Uh, Also, on top of that, I Like You was a big Powers Booth fan. I grew up... Watching him, I don't know if you remember Jay, but he he, in addition to being in things like Southern Comfort, which he's great in, he was on an HBO show where he played Philip Marlowe, and it was yeah, it was one of HBO's first like original series, uh, you know that they're so well mm-hmm. known for it now. It was one of the very first ones they ever did. We're talking early to mid '80s, you know '83 mm-hmm. somewhere around there, and um and. I watched those all the time and he was so good in them. And so very similar to you. Anytime I see his name, I get excited because the dude brought it every chance he could, even if he wasn't in the best movies, even if he was, you know, even something like Red Dawn, which is, you know, yeah. as a lot of people have a lot of affinity for that movie. I have much, much less. But there's no question in my mind that movie kicks up an entire level when he appears in it. I, he just brings such a gravitas and such a weight and a magnetic personality to anything he does. Um, so you got that one-two punch. I was also at that point already aware of who Ali Young was and the idea that Al got to be sort of the the if not the main boss the mini boss that Brandon. You know, we'll talk about it, but that Brandon's going to get to fight. You know, I was so used to him because I loved him because he was always the guy that got killed by John McClane and everybody, you know, it. Leong was born to get killed by people. Yeah, I mean,
0: he, he got killed by rigs. He got killed like, by like Trump you Clinton. were not an
1: action star <laughs> in the eighties and nineties if you didn't kill Leong at some point. And, right. and
0: you, you know what? Th- that's the other thing. Michael Papajohn is another like character actor who lives to get killed by Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: Yep. You know, and even at this point, I was also a fan of Nick Mancuso. There was just a because I I used to watch his show Stingray, and so there was just a lot of moving parts in this movie that I really liked, and I was. Even back in 92 when I saw it, I was so delighted at how well they came together. And then as the years have gone on, the 30 years, 40 years, I don't know, whatever it is, 30 years, I guess. I've only gotten to like the movie more and more. And, and it's just it's so much more fun as I get older. And I so when you asked, I was like. I've never gotten to talk about this movie. I want to talk about I want to talk about Rapid Fire. This one's not going to be quite as objective as the other times I've been on because uh but I want to celebrate. I wanted to come on and celebrate how much I love this movie and how good I think it is.
0: Oh, yeah, look, I'm going to play my hand right now. This is not going to be one where the, the popcorn ratings are a surprise to anybody. I I love this movie, too. I just haven't watched it as much as you have and didn't have the affinity for it. But I remember when I saw it thinking that was badass and like, yeah, that was cool. And then I just went on to the next thing and then the next thing. And then I probably watched Halloween 4 again because that's who I am. But th- this this movie makes a, a big impression. And and so a little bit on Powers Booth, Red Dawn is where I was introduced to him because i saw that movie way earlier than i probably should have and certainly way earlier than i understood same
1: i southern comfort was that one for me that which which i was like five or four years old and i had no business watching southern
0: comfort (laughs) no but you've seen him in so many things since and, and you know it might be fun to do the the red dawn one day because it has a it had a much different view as an adult than you did as a kid but Power's Booth is always good. Uh, I, I would, I think people love the movie Frailty because Bill Paxton's awesome in it. McConaughey's great in it, but don't undersell what Power's Booth is doing in that movie either. That's, a, that's another good one he was in. So again. Texas guy, you throw him in and it's just, it, it's like adding a splash of your favorite stuff on top of your favorite soda. It just works. Well,
1: and and, and he's never a glory hog. He just comes in yeah. and, and does the best job that he can. And so you do sleep on him a lot, uh. but you shouldn't because, yeah, he just is, was, was R.I.P. Um, He was incredibly magnetic. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we could go through his entire filmography and I could... You know, I, I'm scrolling yeah. through it and I'm trying to find a movie that he was in where I think he was bad in it. Uh, and I I can't really I mean, he's been in some real bad movies. But, you know, even even his minor role as the douchebag on the World Security Council in the Avengers, he, you still can't take your <laughs> eyes off him.
0: I know. I was like, can we, can we have more of that guy, please? Him and Samuel L. Jackson yell at each other? Like, that That would have been great. But, yeah, when they, when he popped up at the end of that, I was like, oh, oh, Powers Booth. And then he was gone not long after because, yeah, gosh, think about the Avengers came out a long time ago now. It's almost 10 years <laughs> old. Think about it's it. 10 years old next yeah, almost, year. T- That is so wild to think about because that movie had took over so much stuff. And anyway, we we spent a lot of preamble. I guess it's time to get into rapid fire. So I'm going to give folks a plot summary and then we can get into the movie. Brandon Lee plays Jake Lowe, a Los Angeles art student who's trying to rebuild his life after seeing his father killed in Tiananmen Square in China. Lured to a party of Chinese pro-democracy activists posing as an art show jake witnesses a mafia drug distributor antonio serrano kill a man named carl chang who is an associate of Kinman Tao, a drug kingpin who serrano feels disrespected him jake escapes the shootout only to be arrested interrogated by the fbi and placed in protective custody however the agents at the safe house are corrupt which sends jake on the run again after he evades a young detective named carla withers He reaches out to the FBI, but the corrupt agents try to kill him again until he's rescued by veteran grizzled police Lieutenant Mace Ryan, played by the awesome Powers Booth, who happens to be partners with Carla, as we find out. Ryan's team has been after Tao for over a decade, and he finally agrees to help Jake if Jake will help them in a sting operation to learn Tao's next shipment. Jake helps Ryan obtain information about Tao's shipment going through Serrano's corrupt FBI ties and this thing more or less works but Jake is nearly killed in the process and gets quite angry with Ryan for putting his life in danger when it wasn't necessary while Ryan and his crew execute a raid on the next shipment locale Jake and Carla hide out in her apartment for some quality alone time and Jake is persuaded by Carla and Ryan to join them in one final raid on Tau Carla and Ryan are captured, but Jake wades through the bad guys one at a time and rescues his partners and ultimately kills Tao in the process. And the three heroes share an ambulance right away as the hair metal blasts and the carnage burns behind them and the credits roll. And that's about the most straight line I can give you on this movie. It's going to be fun just to jump in and talk about it. And I think one of the things we, we've got to jump in and, and talk about immediately is the director here, because I know a little bit about Dwight H. Little. And one of the guys who wrote the screenplay, Alan McElroy, gets credit on this, though about a dozen people wrote on it. Those two also gave us the aforementioned Halloween 4. That's why it was on my brain. And people bang on that movie for different reasons, but I have always held up that the fact that Alan McElroy wrote that in less than thirty days and and Dwight Little had to shoot it in less than sixty before a writer's strike you know, shut all down production. Amazed me they got what they got out of it. And it's clear like he has a vision, has an eye, and knows how to do stuff. And I, as it turns out, have seen a lot of what Dwight Little did. And he's worked a lot in film, he's worked a lot on television. He's he does a lot of cool stuff and he's done some pretty good action movies too. And this was one of those that's right in the middle of his oeuvre. But 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 he's also done like Mark for Death. And he did uh, he worked on Broken Arrow as an executive producer helping John Woo direct it. But he did like Murder in 1600 and he did an Anaconda sequel, which is not a good movie, but it's a hell of a lot of fun. And again, has worked on television for a good bit. So I like little I like the work he does and I like the way he uses the camera.
1: Yeah, he's he's a very he's a very much a journeyman director, but he he's a lot like Stuart Baird who did executive decision and and is also a really well-known editor in that they're, they're going to do good. If you give them good material to work with, you know, uh, Anaconda's Mm -hmm. hunt for the blood orchid is a perfect example because that movie is way better and way better looking than it has any friggin' right to be like, it's still not really good, but it, could be a whole lot worse. And I, I ascribe a lot of that to Dwight Little. And, you know, the other big one I, I is is we Steven Seagal's Mark for Death, which is one of my favorite Steven Seagal awesome. movies. And mm-hmm. it, it just he knows how to shoot action in a way that involves getting the hell out of the way and letting his performers do what his performers do and and then making them look as good as they can. He's not interested in um, – he's got a thing that I love with directors like him, which is no ego. He's not interested in making his movies a director's show. He is interested in making his performers look as good as they possibly can, and he does that very well. And I think he doesn't – he does it no better than he does in Rapid Fire. Like I think Rapid Fire – I know a lot of people really love Halloween 4. I like it plenty, but I think Rapid Fire is absolutely his best directed movie. I think he he does everything right in this movie. And then, yeah, you mentioned McElroy. The lines, the lines that McElroy is putting in these actors' mouths. I mean, there's so many, you know, and we'll obviously break it down a little more when we get farther into it. But there's just things like Pop-Tarts. More Pop-Tarts, you know, or, or that's blackmail. That is law enforcement. You know, there's so many terrific <laughs> yeah. lines in this movie. It's really funny in addition to being all sorts of kick ass. Um, and a lot of that's yeah, because the- of Brandon, but it's also he's got good dialogue yeah. to work with.
0: Well, And that's the thing, and I'll say this immediately, and one of the things I appreciate about Little and directors of this era, Baird's another one uh, you mentioned, there there are a few others who who knew how to do this. When you're shooting action movies nowadays, what happens? It's frigging close-ups and a thousand cuts. It's Michael Bay to death, right? He pulled back and lets you see the full screen. It's two people fighting. You get to see the full movement. You get to see what these these talented people can do and especially brandon lee i mean this is a showcase of showcase to all the cool shit he could do and it's probably not even a third of what he could do and it the fact that you get to see it in such wide scope is something we just don 't have in action movies anymore nowadays and it 's what I appreciate when I get to see a director who will let the stars and the and the action and the and the stunt people and all that work in front of them and and do the dance do the choreography that 's half the fun
1: absolutely and and he's a he 's a I mean I can't confirm this because I've never met the man, but he's a collaborator because one of the things that I also really (laughs) love about this movie is this was one of my big introductions to Hong Kong cinema because Brandon was such a big – Brandon and Jeff Amata and the the other rest of the stunt team were such big fans of what Jackie Chan was doing that there are whole scenes lifted from Jackie Chan movies and other Hong Kong movies in this movie and little – worked with them on that he didn't impose his will i mean that was them that was the stunt team and brandon wanting to bring that (laughs) stuff in and rather than just try and impose his will and say no we're not going to do it or i want to do it this way he let them and there's some of the end up being some of the best action scenes in the movie and some of the best things in the movie and so i i think his collaborative ways really does allow people to he brings out the best in the people that he works with.
0: You do and it it's also helps that this movie is at a time of change in pop culture in America. And I'm so glad you you mentioned that about Jackie Chan because I'm not as familiar with his Hong Kong stuff as I am his American stuff, but I felt like I was watching Jackie Chan stuff so I'm glad you, you dropped that because it was one of my questions to ask you is like are they, are they homaging to some of that and it, and it sounds like they're just directly lifting which is you know another form of, of flattery in, in a lot of ways there's a, of I, there's a little bit
1: of both there's a little bit of so when he uses the mm-hmm. motorcycle to crash the guy through the glass that's right out of police story mm-hmm. But the apartment mm-hmm. fight when he's fighting the, the bad feds and he's, you know, he yeah. keeps kicking the door in the one guy's face and he hits the other guy with the drawer full of utensils. Just classic Jackie yes. Chan shit, right? That,
0: that <laughs> the, the utensils bit is the thing that like when I was rewatching it this time, I was like, that's why I remember this movie. And for years I assigned that to like Jackie Chan picked up a couple of butter knives and kicked the shit out of people once. And I was like, yes, he did. But I also remember. Bradley yeah. And that,
1: that's much more homage. <laughs> that the, Those that stuff's yeah. not directly lifted from anything in particular it's just they really wanted to capture that spirit of this outnumbered guy trying to use his environment the way that jackie always does
0: um Exactly. And that's what's so fun about this. And and we'll get into what, you know, Brandon Lee and all all what he's doing there because my second note that we've got in the doc is his presence is something else. But we we got to talk about like the late 80s early 90s action movie sheen that exists on this and it's part of like the soundtrack. You have got Hardline singing those those you know hair metal songs yeah, which everybody's
1: ears just started <laughs> exactly. bleeding but uh i, I couldn't resist <laughs> no
0: i'm a fan of that though because i i had a friend who was in a band that their album came out in 1992 which is the worst time to release a hair metal album because it was about to get murdered by everything in seattle but i still spin that disc i you know i love that stuff and there's just something about that music that I love grunge music. I think it's cool, but you cannot hold up the musicianship between the two eras more. And this movie is right on that cusp when we can't have those songs in there anymore. But without them, this movie would have lacked something. And I'm glad that it's in there. And it's also just the whole soundtrack, the synthesizer, you know, pop that's in the background mixed with the, I called it like if you go to your local Chinese restaurant, the music that they're playing to try to give you the atmosphere for it. It's what you think it should be in these, all these different scenes. And, but it works on the same, on the same level. And that's what's neat is just the, the whole sheen of this movie is at a time that has gone by and we will never see again. And it's kind of sad, but it's fun to go back and revisit these things and see them and realize, gosh, you would have never thought, but that totally holds up 20 years later.
1: Yeah, it's actually funny how this movie has gone through the other end, right? You know, Mm -hmm. circa 2000, this movie probably seemed really dated, and it's now gone through the other end to where, like all classic movies do, they end up not feeling very dated because you can look at the things like the fashion or the music or whatever as time capsules of a a time – but ultimately, good dialogue, good characters, good action scenes, those never age. Those never become dated. And so, mm-hmm. I, look, there's plenty of action movies that came out in 1992 that I watch and I'm like, I love them because I got the nostalgia for them. Uh, but I watch them and go, yeah, I mean, that's a 1992 action movie. I watch this one and really think you could – You could tweak just a couple of things and make it tomorrow, and it would still hold up just as well as it does. You just change some fashion and stuff.
0: Yeah, the central story is a guy who is caught in between (laughs) two bad guys trying to kill each other and the cop that's trying to run him down. And he just happens to be in the wrong place the wrong time, and, and it works out, right? and oh it it also helps that he can kick incredible amounts of ass. You know, like that that story though gets told over and over again. And that's what's so cool about this is that you've seen it you've seen that story before, you'll see it again, but in the delivery of it and and this is where the performers come in and really sell this one is what makes this one stand above. And we got to talk about Brandon Lee's just presence in this movie. So much about him and what people remember is that his, his fighting style and that he had all the you know, all the moves and stuff but man he's funny and he's got charisma for days and i'm just sitting there the whole time half of me going god this guy is so electric and then they half going damn it i wish we had more movies from this guy
1: yeah i mean it, it, you can't get around it we don't want to turn this into you know a brandon lee memorial podcast i know you guys kind of covered a lot of that on the crow but you just can't get around how everything about him you know i love that you said you've seen this story before and the first thing that popped in my mind was yeah but you haven't seen it with brandon lee and and that's exactly what what sets this apart uh, above and beyond everything else just being very good is he's so nimble and i i, I watched this again with my wife uh, In preparation for this but we watch it probably once a year at least if not every six months um and we're always just so blown away at how graceful and nimble he is both in his physicality but also in his acting he's effortless he just glides through the movie you know i i always say that about robert downey jr that robert downey jr just especially in like eighties and nineties, early Robert Downey Jr. He would just glide yeah. into a movie and, and Brandon's doing the same thing. He moves with purpose. You know, one of the things that, that really stood out and, and Kelsey, my wife actually mentioned it, that really stood out for me this time, in spite of that dozens or hundreds of times I've seen this movie is every time he has to kill somebody, he gets a look on his face of pure, like, anguish. It doesn't last very long because yeah. he's got to get his game face back on because other people are still trying to kill him. But this is a kid that is not happy to be in this situation where he's got to kill people and he really wishes people would just leave him alone and they won't. And, it, I mean, even all the way down to the end, for the most part, when he fights Ali Young and stabs him, he still has that look of, like, why why are you assholes making me kill you all like just stop it just knock it off I won't kill you but you know and and that's subtle Jay and that's hard to pull off that's natural charisma right there
0: well it it is and and you talk about the way he glides physically through through movies but the lines just fall out of his lips like he's not reading lines he's just talking and that's that's when an actor has hooked you no matter what kind of movie they're doing is you forget that you're watching someone who has rehearsed this and has memorized this and they're just talking and there's so many times that I'm watching him and I'm like Oh man, that's just so natural. Like that's just that comes out like the way Gibson spits him out as as Riggs, and you know some of these other performances. And it's like, man, it 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 doesn't make you. It makes me appreciate like, good. You know, we don't have a lot from this guy, so you just gotta drink up every last ounce of it because he gives so much. And I think the other part of it too, and what is so good is that the Jake Low character. There's like a there's a whole backstory we don't know about him. Like there could have been hell of prequel movies and sequels to this had he lived because what we find out is I mean they they're very much playing on something from the time of the the famous, you know, uh, um pictures of the man run over by the tank in Tiananmen Square. And what we find out is his father was an agent and he was over there with him and he witnessed that happen or something like that Mm -hmm. happened. And he is just trying to get on with his life. And we see him in art class and, you know, he's, of course, it's talking to the model and that's who drags him to the pro Chinese democracy, which I wanted to ask you, I'm like, I mean, this movie subtly just works some real, real prickly politics, right? Right in there, like (laughs) right
1: in the middle of it. Right. Like, yeah. it's it's it is actually interesting that that it's it's a thing mm-hmm. that you could do in 1992 but it's probably was filmed in 91 that you couldn't necessarily do today because you know no. we're old enough to remember how big of an impact Tiananmen Square had over here and then mm-hmm. not that I want to get into like geopolitical relations we 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 sold ourselves to China and so now we don't get yeah. to uh, <laughs> we don't get to make those kind of criticisms in movies and stuff anymore
0: yeah. So, so yeah speak, speaking of of red dawn you know <laughs> uh, the the remake of it completely changed itself because of that and 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 again you know not to go down that road you know this isn't the daily wire but that is something that grounds this movie in a period in time, but it also gives you a backstory about a, a character and you don't need to know all of it to understand the effect it had on him. Like nowadays that would be a 30 minute subplot and this movie would be three hours long. Like every other friggin' action movie is, but this movie is lean and mean. It's like, Nope, you know, just enough to make you interested in him and understand why, it does pang him to be thrown in the middle of this stuff because he's got no interest in it. He's not a cop.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, yeah, it literally spends, you get two characters talking as they're walking up, talking about his dad taught the US Army, you know, Muay Thai Jiu Jitsu. So it's like, okay, they establish Jake's credentials, but I love they establish him after we've already seen Jake use his skills. And yeah. we establish his relationship with his father, essentially, but we get so much of that through Mace. Um, before I get into that though, I did want to, I don't know if you saw this or, or we're going to bring it up, but you mentioned, um, sequels. Did you know, Jay, that Die Hard with a Vengeance was initially conceived as a rapid fire sequel?
0: I did. I had read that back when, when I was... I was digging through, uh, when I first got on the internet and discovered the internet movie database uh, and spent oodles of time on there, I had read that little piece and then had had heard people talk about that before. And it's when I realized Hollywood would write a script and then slap a known property on top of it. Uh, yeah. And I knew that that happened anyway, because there's a lot of Bond movies that are that way. And so I had heard that before, but at the time, I don't think it registered with me, but holy cow, that would have been an awesome <laughs> rapid fire sequel. Like you could totally see it.
1: Yeah, it, it, totally different movie, right? With Brandon Lee instead of Bruce Willis, like completely just a completely different you even if you didn't change anything in the script, obviously, you'd have to take the Han the Gruber stuff out. But even if you didn't change anything else in the script, like just a totally different vibe. Uh, from from well, I mean, it, it
0: could have been one of Tao's brothers, yeah. you know, yeah. like or Serrano's brothers, you know, setting all this up and you, you got to get low and, a, you know, a Powers Booth gets drugged back. You you reverse the roles, yeah, essentially. Yeah. You, you Jake Lee is, is or uh, Jake Lowe is what Samuel L. Jackson yep. was in that movie, but you put him in the John McClane scenario and you got to drag the old drunk yep. cop in yep. there yep. to help him out.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, to, totally would have worked, too. And uh, it's what's so neat about this movie is that, it lays such cool groundwork for these people, and you can tell that – or at least we look at it now and you think like, oh, gosh, they could have gone here, here, and here with it. But this was just conceived as a movie initially. And then when it hit, they were like, holy cow, we got to do something with that again. And they did. It just you know, didn't turn around in time to do it with him. The early fight scenes, Mike, we got to talk about these because you're the you're the action connoisseur or whatever uh, in in my group of film Twitter friends. I'm watching this and I'm like, this is awesome. And I'm just chewing it up for what it is. But tell me what the heck he is doing, man, because it is it is a combination of so much cool stuff.
1: Unsurprisingly, he was a practitioner of Jeet Kune Do, um, which is the the martial art that his father invented. And. Basically, the thing with Jeet Kune Do is it, it it it's it's a formless you know, everybody knows that that classic Bruce Lee quote, be like water. Jeet Kune Do is kind of designed to be a formless martial art. It's going to adopt it, it's really one of the early precursors of MMA, of mixed martial arts. And <laughs> So he's adopting some jujitsu. He's adopting a couple of of Muay Thai moves. But the bulk of it is Jeet Kune Do. And I always love Jeet Kune Do because I think it is one of the most uh, cinematic martial arts out there. You know, not just because Bruce Lee ruled and and his charisma Mm -hmm. and because Brandon rules. But even if you look at somebody – like, this is a name a lot of listeners probably aren't going to know, but somebody like Michael Wirth, who was in uh, a bunch of movies in the 90s and he starred on that TV show, Acapulco Heat. Uh, he is a Jeet Kendo practitioner, and he always looked dynamic. It's just a very graceful, interesting martial art to see on screen. And uh, and then when you have somebody who's really talented at it, like Brandon executing it, you know, there there is – there's a movie does in that, that art house, the, the art museum fight where he <laughs> – this guy keeps trying to kick him and Brandon keeps kicking him in the shins and then punching him. And he only does it a couple of times, but it's so graceful and so fast that I just – to this day, I've seen that a hundred times and I'm still like, god damn – this is good. And, uh, and so I do also need to shout out, you know, because uh, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't, you know, mention that uh, Clint Candinha Clint was the fight choreographer. Uh, the great Jeff Amata was one of the big stunt people on this. This, this had one of the best stunt teams in Western movies in 1992. Uh, and, and everybody brought their A game for this movie.
0: Yeah. And you can tell, and I'm glad you you described his style as graceful because it is very much, it's like a dance almost. It's like watching a a sword fighter that knows how to do fencing. And then they they have to do the sword fighting scene, but they just have a, a move to them that is almost effortless. But you also realize like, he just punched that guy's teeth in like in two seconds and the dude didn't even know what hit him. Like, it's it's so amazing to see. And that art house fight is awesome because that is a, a big space. You've been to art museums. I love going to them. Thank God we can finally go and do some of that stuff again. But you, when you go to them, look, the thing you notice is that there's big space because you want the art to have all kinds of different light. So people see it from different angles and you learn stuff. And I only know this because I dated an art history major once in college. But I'm watching this and I'm thinking about man they do a great job of using the space of that art museum and letting him work around it without falling into the trope of he throws somebody through the mona lisa or some some shit like that you know he just uses what's around him to get out of that scenario and i mean you gotta say for for a hitman hit to to go down at a place like this i mean i've you know, I'm reminded of like the the club shootout in Scarface. Yep. There's always like the the henchmen that like pick the worst place to start gunning somebody down. Yeah, like wait till they get on the street. Man. But you do
1: get the great Nick Mancuso line: "We came down the chimney, ho ho ho,
0: <laughs> yeah." Which I I still
1: quote that every Christmas. Like whenever I see ho ho ho, <laughs> I can't say ho ho
0: ho. I have to say mm-hmm. ho 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 (laughs) (laughs) which is hilarious and it's so it's so fun to watch that go down and and there i mean there he sees all of it right because it what what we need to talk about is what happens is the opening scene is serrano is this mafia drug dealer who like all mafia drug dealers wears his fucking suit in the middle of southeast asia to go meet his his kingpin supplier and you know he can't strike the deal with him or whatever, so he's ticked off about it, and he goes to kill the guy who's sponsoring the party, but is also one of the main distributors for this towel guy at the at the party. That's the inciting incident for all of this stuff. Is this one guy is pissed off that this guy didn't show him enough respect, and so he's going to go gun down his main supplier in the U.S. And I mean that's that sets off the whole powder keg of this.
1: I love that we actually spend the first 10 minutes of the movie meeting the bad guys before we even get to Jake because it does help highlight how all – there's all these things in orbit. And Jake is just this small little dude who's going to get ground up by all of this except for the fact that he's Jake and he can punch his way out of these problems better than anybody else can. But like – He's he's wrong guy wrong time and and that's so clearly established by establishing who our villains are before we even meet Jake because it gives them motivation and personality. Uh, You know, I mean, Zima is probably only in two or three scenes. I think he's got three scenes in the movie mostly. Um, The
0: opening, like right in the middle, and then
1: the yeah, yeah. and and he's still very well established as a character. And Nick Mancuso's just oh. Mm, chef's kiss in this movie. He is so deliriously like evil and sleazy and just such a cliche of an Italian mobster, but such a great cliche of an Italian mobster. You know, the only time somebody doesn't want something is when he wants, the only time somebody doesn't want money is when he wants something else, you know? And it's like, he's so good. He just keeps repeating that line. Yeah. He's so good at it. And of course we get the payoff then when Brandon, and even then you get the great Nick Mancuso thing where when Brandon repeats that back to him, he goes, Titans, straightens his ties Like, not in the face, and Brandon just like nails him like three times. In the
0: exactly face. the fact that that guy gets murdered by a throwing star by Leong, in jail is only perfect at the end of this movie. Yeah. By the way,
1: yeah, it's so. it's it's actually a really interesting we, structure because our main bad guy is only our main bad guy for the first two acts, and then we get and then yeah. we switch to Tao, which normally I don't think would work but i think because the real plot of this movie is jake and mace um i think it works because it's more about their relationship than it is about getting these bad guys
0: well and that's the funny thing you mentioned our other protagonist this this cop doesn't show up until the the second act like that is a that is a roll of the dice to to make that work and to make that relationship work cuz you've already spent 35 minutes of the movie where Jake gets out of this stuff and he goes into you know, custody. But real quick, the, you know, the dirty agents are on and they, they start you know, shooting the other cops and they're ready to kill him. And he's got to wade through them, which is another great fight. And he's only able to get away when this old grizzled, looks like he's on a three day bender cop shows up and starts shooting it out against the bad guys that are like, at this point, Jake's got three different levels of people trying to kill him. And he doesn't even know what the hell he did. Like, he has no idea what is happening.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you get, you get you know, you get Powers Booth, you get Mace coming in and being like, get your ass in here if you want to live, you know? And it's like, okay, I guess I'll do that because everybody else seems to be trying to... Well, and it's beautiful casting, too, because Raymond J. Barry is just impossible to trust. Like, as an actor, he's just impossible to trust. And so when there's that scene where they're meeting and Ryan comes and saves him. But, but Raymond J. Barry is like, Jake, I'm your friend. And I'm always, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like the friend, that fucking blackmailed him. No, you're not his <laughs> exactly. friend. Jake, get in the car, man. Like,
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's the thing is you realize Jake has nowhere to turn to. And we've also all already met at that point, our female lead in this, this movie, the, aforementioned Carla Withers, played by Kate Hodge, who I don't know from anything else. But after seeing her in this movie, I'm like, how did you not turn into more of a thing? And I looked her up afterward, and I realized she did make an appearance, and I had seen her in one of the things. She made an appearance in on Silk Stockings for a few episodes. I was like, I knew it. I knew I'd seen that hair somewhere again. Jay, you uh, have not seen Leatherface,
1: Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre 3. I am... I,
0: I have not didn't know she was yeah, in she's the Yeah, she's the main, she's the main character. She's the lead I couldn't in have it. told you that was her, though, is what I'm saying. Like, I made, made no impression on me. The only thing I remember mostly about that movie, just as an aside real quick, is the in, incredible Excalibur trailer they shot for it. And that is uh, hubris that only that franchise could
1: pull yep, off. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. That trailer is better than <laughs> the movie.
0: Yeah. Um, in all ways possible. But we've met her, and what I like about her is the second time she sees Jake, she punches him. Because <laughs> he, he gave her the drop at some point. I'm like, okay, I like this chick already. She's fun.
1: Yeah, no, she's awesome. Kate Hodge is great. Uh, she had did mm-hmm. have a very successful television career in terms of just being a working actor. You know, she did a mm-hmm. lot of one-offs on TV shows. She probably lived a fairly modestly but comfortable life based on her acting but she should have been a a bigger star because first of all she's absolutely gorgeous there's just no way around that Um, and Mm -hmm. secondly yeah she's terrific and she and Jake actually which is you know one of the problems you run into with a lot of these action movies is your male and female co-stars don't always have great chemistry she and Jake have chemistry through the roof. Like and they get them yeah. together very quickly, like you did in eighties and nineties action movies, but they had like, I just, I love the end. Their little banter. When Mace is like, you should know, she's just using you to get to me. And then Jake's like, are you? And she's like, what using me to get to him? And she's like, Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just, it's so the chemistry is so good and so magnetic. Um, and, uh, And yeah, I love I love that she's kind of the voice of reason in this movie because Mace is so all consumed with getting Tao and Jake is so all consumed with people who remind him of his father pissing him off. And she really does provide a solid sound voice of reason in this movie that probably doesn't work very well without her. I mean, she's she's essential.
0: She's the one that. Yeah, she's the one that really convinces Jake to listen to, like, he's grizzled and kind of wild-eyed, but so let me just tell you what Ryan's real thing is here. And she lays out why Tao is the ultimate bad guy we've got to get to, and we've got to have you help us do it, because you you saw Serrano take out his main guy, so you can get the information we need. And you've got a friend who clearly is a crooked agent. So use that. Let's, let's make that work. And this will all work out for the better for us. And the sooner you do it, the safer you'll be. Because if you go back out on the streets, there's three other people trying to kill you right now. And we can only protect you so much. So, I mean, she, she gives him like a, you know, a, a proposition he can't refuse at this point. And he goes along with it, which leads to what I have to say is one of my favorite shootout scenes that I've seen in an 80s, 90s movie in a long time. The restaurant I, scene. I love the barrage of gunfire <laughs> that he has to dodge um, while you're know, figuring out how to get out of this. When, when the wire goes bad and his friend keeps repeating the, yeah, it's nice to do business with you, and they obviously you know it's going to go bad um, before all that goes down, it is, it is so much fun to see practical effects and squibs used in such delight. Well, and I, I um,
1: just love, again, too, the, the structure of it, because, you know, the whole point is this fire escape's supposed to be open, and so he's supposed to be able to get out, and it's, of course, closed. So now Jake's trapped in this restaurant. The cops are assaulting the restaurant. The, the mob members are fighting back, and I love it because, frankly, the cops are outmatched. You know, the, the mob guys, they pull out that big friggin' 50-cal machine gun, And so it is, it's one of those other things that I love about the movie that it's like this movie does such a good job of making Jake incredibly badass without doing it in the Steven Seagal way of he's just a badass. You know, he's still so human and so humble, but. He is a badass. Like, the cops are dead if Jake's not trapped in that restaurant. <laughs> because then you get the, the like back and forth of the cops are trying, you know, and the one van gets blown up. But then you've got Jake working his way through the restaurant, just fucking people up left and right. And, and, and I love too the like annoyance. On Brandon Lee's face. There's, there is a scene there is, this is, you know, you mentioned his presence, Jay. There is a mm-hmm. scene that I, I noticed the very first time I watched this movie. And I always remember it. it's in the restaurant and he's sitting there. He's just beat up some dude. And you see him before you even see it. It's the camera centered on Jake. And he just, he looks and he sighs. And then he takes a deep breath because all of a sudden you get four guys coming at him from off screen, and it's like you can literally feel the are you fucking kidding me right now from the way, like, Brandon plays that. And that, that again, that that is magic, man. That is not something that a lot of actors can pull off. Um, and, and so I love it because you get Jake doing all of this while we're getting this cool shootout scene. And then ultimately, yeah, it all comes down to you get the payoff of The door opens and Jake brings Serrano out and everybody's like, you know, Mace is like, well, I'll be goddamn, you know, Uh, it's
0: so good. It's it's, what's neat about it, too, is you realize he switches somewhere in the middle of that fight. He's wading through those people because he's just trying to get out of the building. (laughs) Like, I just want to leave. Please let me kick you in the face and get out of the way. And then at some point he realizes, wait a minute, this is going bad. Because they've got the friggin machine gun on them. So that this isn't fair anymore. And he's like, no, I'm going to help now in a much more active way. And I think that's when he, he really changes as a character. He's like, you know what? No, I'm bringing this guy down. And, and we got to call it out too. Rick Waite, the cinematographer here shot 48 hours and foot loose and all kinds of other shit. And he knows how to shoot frenetic action and movement without zooming you around and getting you dizzy and that's what i love about this is he and little have a great sense of camera and you feel like you're always like looking down and above on all of this stuff going on and it makes the present so much better so when jake walks out with that moment it's this big triumphant like hell yeah he got the guy
1: yeah, one of the things I always talk about on Adkins is the concept of geography in action scenes. And mm-hmm. there is no point in any of the action scenes in this movie where you ever don't have a clear sense of geography. No matter whether it's a big open warehouse like the art museum or the tiny apartment or this restaurant or the big fight in the laundromat. You always know where all the players are, where the setting is, where where you are as the viewer You have a clear sense of geography the whole time. Little and and Wait together absolutely shoot the hell out of this movie. I mean, they, you know, it's... It's Again, it's so funny. People are going to be listening to me being like, Mike, really rapid fire. You're like going on about rapid fire like this. Yes, I'm fucking going on about rapid fire like this because it's that good. Like everything about this movie works. Uh, and, and, And I love that shootout because there is a tight geography in that restaurant seat. And they do a good job setting it up in scenes leading up to it. So we as the audience know we know there's a lower level. We know there's an upstairs loft where serrano and his people always eat and so we have this real sense. we know where the bar is we know where the windows are so even before the action starts we mentally have a layout of what this environment looks like so we can follow it as we're watching jake work his way through everything
0: yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes it so much fun. And I'm glad you're heaping a ton of praise in this because holy cow, people need to see this movie. I mean, we, you know, again, we're, we're spoiling the ending, but I'm telling y'all, you need to watch this because it's way, it's not only the action good, the fucking plot is smart and it's about to get really smart in a second. I'll, I'll get to the, the laundromat bit in a minute, but just to wrap this up, the way that he careens himself through this, it's not unlike, video games of the time and I mean that in a compliment way. The way that the side scrollers and the top and down scrollers used to work before we got into 3D action and stuff. But like the early shooters, like Wolfenstein and shit like that, borrowed a lot from the way this worked. And I I love it. I love the way it all works out. And at the end of this, and what, what's so cool, and again, this is why this movie is so smart. What would normally happen now is like, okay, we know where the next shipment is. It's gonna be the laundromat. Let's go and have a big shoot 'em up there and that'll be it. But no. That's That would be the end of most movies, but not this one. What you get to see is what what I call uh, pseudo-Gus Fring screwing over the cops that are raiding the laundromat because he's he's figured out, nope, they've caught my guy, so I'm not going to be dumb enough to bring my drugs in the same way. And it's juxtaposed in only a movie in the 90s could do, early 90s could do, where Jake and Carl are getting it on in the apartment while the, the ballad is rocking in the background and the cops are raiding and it's gone bad. I love how smart this movie turns like that. Because again, a lesser movie would have just said, ah, let's just have a big ass action scene for 30 minutes and, and get out.
1: Well, and I love it too, because they need, you know, because at this point, Jake is out. Right, We find out that Mace Mm -hmm. has lied to him and actually had uh, an illegally obtained tape that he gave to the FBI agent, to the FBI, so that Jake was clear. You need this to come up with a good reason for Jake to come back, you know, and obviously we get Mm -hmm. the great stuff. I, I... Two things I want to say. One, really quick. What was it with early 90s things that had police uh, officers in bowling alleys? Because this and 21 Jump Street both did that. <laughs> I know. Brian. And and as you know, Jay, as part of my day job, I work with a lot of cops. I assure you, I have never seen a bowling alley as a police station. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but two, um, I love the scene of... You know, we find out Jake has just been so obsessed that his dad was dude do- there's a reason that his dad died. There's a bigger picture. And Carla being Mace's intelligence officer, Detective Withers, my intelligence officer, why don't you lay some intelligence on me? Uh you know, uh, she finds out she gets his dad's file, and no, he just died doing what he believed in. There's no greater thing other than he died doing what he believed in. And then you yeah. get that great scene where Mace comes over to Withers' apartment after she and, and Jake's hiding. And he's just, you know, he's like, oh, I'm really glad I didn't get that kid killed. I like that kid. And she's like, maybe you should tell him. And he's like, you know, I, you don't have to say something like that. And man, that, that just like that gets me right in the feels. Like this movie should not be getting me in the feels, but it does. Um, and so yeah. it it's it sets up perfectly because Mace is now out. He's probably going to get busted down to Patrolman. And so then you get that shot of Withers and Jake walking back in and it's like, all right, this is our one last shot to get this guy. Let's do it. And Jake's all in at that point, which is, you know, and he's earned that. We've earned that in his journey through this movie.
0: Yeah, totally. And what's neat about that is that this movie takes time to slow down and let that character stuff happen. And I mean, again, movies nowadays, they're structured very differently than the way this one was done. But McElroy knew when we needed to have a break and we needed to let people breathe and let the let the actors work and let and let these characters develop, because at that point, I don't think he knew who was in it. But, you know, when Powers Booth comes in and you realize, like. This guy realizes he's screwed. In, the, uh, in my head, I invented the reason he goes to the bowling alley is because his apartment's really crappy, and the food and the beer are real cheap at the bowling alley, Mike. So that that's where he goes to just sort of. Live. And also, I was like maybe he lives above it, you know, too. Well, and again, you this guy's definitely his third divorce. You, like you, you get know. that.
1: Well, and they even say that because Jake asked him, "You got a family? See him much?" <laughs> but they also you get that great character beat of he keeps missing the one pin for the whole movie. And as they're yes. closing up shop, he finally <laughs> shoots shit. it. And, and you even get the The best part is you get, not only are the other cops not like Fagus, but you even hear from off camera, one guy goes, it's about damn time. You know, which right. Is so, <laughs> so like, which is, again, so much more clever than so many of these movies coming out in the 80s and 90s. And even now are like those little, well, this is a character first movie in spite of all the kick-ass action
0: well and that's the thing is alan mcelroy knows how to write really snappy fun dialogue like he is a proto kevin williamson style who williamson hates his stuff now that he did on dawson's creek but you can see like the genesis of that style of writing Coming here and McElroy's from that school. He just writes the way people fucking talk, you know. <laughs> Instead of you know this this other shit that people try to spit out that doesn't make any sense. And, and so many times you, I'm watching this and I I don't feel like I'm watching Powers Booth deliver lines. It's almost like he read the page. Like yeah, I got it, <laughs> and he just kind of went with it. But all all in accounts are is that how the script was? Yeah. That you know it was just that fun. And and that's what's neat about this because it. it isn't earned a moment when we realize like, no, we're going back because he, he pulled the shipment out of the laundry, but now we're going back and they drop a thing. That's kind of later in, in the middle of the fight here at the end. And I think it's Jake that, that figures it out. You you check me on that, that they're hiding the drugs in the laundry. And I'm like, what a, fucking genius idea yeah
1: yeah jake figures it out because the the hoses that they're using to steam the laundry is actually what's hiding the heroin he figures it out actually before everything goes to shit um but that's yeah that's where it all is because they thought they were hiding it in the clothes like under the clothes and it's actually in the hoses that are actually running throughout the laundromat um
0: yeah, well, I, I also took it that it was like embedded in the fabric and it was just sucking it yeah, out and I mean, steaming maybe, it out. Maybe
1: that is kind of what it is. But yeah, yeah but there's the scene but, where he reveals. But it's moves. a genius reveal yeah. when we get to Absolutely. that. That's what I mean. Is yeah. It,
0: a lesser movie would not have done something that smart. No, and that's a really smart reveal. And it's neat that you know they they dress Jacob like he's supposed to be you know just another laundry worker, and he can he totally pulls that off. <laughs> you know, he puts on uh, you know glasses, pulls his hair back in a net, and he's you know he's just right there, and he starts speaking in you know Chinese or whatever. And the the other person is like, I don't speak that, and it's like, Oh shit. Well, I'm just gonna keep talking like I'm confused, and that's what makes it fun. Is you you realize like, Oh, we we. Put put our guy in real danger. He's really putting himself for the first time in the movie. He's putting himself in harm's way for the greater good. And that's when you realize you've seen the full arc now of the guy. And so, you know, when he, when he uncorks it, like, Oh, all hell's about to break loose. And it absolutely does. The, the fights in this culminating with, with Al Leong who, as we said, killed Serrano with an awesome throwing star scene earlier. The fight they have is so much fun.
1: It's one of my favorites of all time. I I love it. I I wish it was longer, that but that's just because I always wish that anytime I see a fight, a martial arts fight that I love, you know, it's the mm-hmm. I, I the Roger Ebert quote you know, applied to martial arts fight, you know, a bad martial arts fight uh, can't ever be uh, short enough and a great martial arts fight can't ever be too long. And this one's great. You know, you got two pros who know what they're doing. The choreography is just crazy. We get some more Jackie Chan homages. Brandon's before he fights Ali Young. He's using the, the laundry roller to like pull guys, you know, trip guys and stuff like that. You get the great scene where he's fighting Aliong, and he like jumps up on the fence and, and to try and get away from him and stuff. It's it's really good. Uh, it, it, it it the the one kind of complaint I have is I actually think his fight with Sima is a bit of a letdown because his fight with Aliong and it's it's fine, it's good, but it, it it definitely felt more like a standard fight than the state of the art sort of really high level stuff you're seeing in the rest of the, the laundromat, you know, the laundry facility fight, especially that fight with Aliong.
0: Yeah, I mean, with Sima, he basically has to – they get in a fight on the uh, – what I call the Beach Street uh, you know, subway. And so I knew how that was going to end. I'm like, oh, somebody's getting electrocuted, and it's not going to be Brandon Lee. And so and we, the way he sets him up for that, though, is perfect. And I love the fact that that's not what kills him. The fucking train yeah. blowing him into smithereens like a Saw movie is what kills him. I'm like, yes, that's how that guy has to die. Classic 90s, yeah,
1: Classic 90s action overkill, right? You kill him one way, but then you kill him another way. Just to ensure that they are dead.
0: Yes, there is no. His ghost can't even come back. He's so fucking dead. And that's what's great about that. I do like, though, that, uh, you know, he has to rescue Withers and Ryan at some point, though, because they both get captured. And he makes the active choice to, like, no, I'm not leaving them behind. I'm going to go get them because. And, and the way I've worked that out in my head is he is processing through his father's death. And like, I wish one of those army guys he had trained had saved him. Well, I'm not going to leave my people behind. I'm going to get them. And he got them both out. And that's that's what's awesome about that.
1: I love it, too. Uh, it, it's great because it also, yeah, establishes, you know, again, he, Mace, has become kind of his father figure. But I also love, too, that when he finally faces off with Seema, he's like, who are you and and uh, you totally yeah. realize, like, holy shit, this big bad guy in this movie has no idea who Jake is, like why is this random college kid <laughs> fucking up his day like that that yeah. cracks me up that kills me um because yeah, it's he would have no reason to know who Jake is um
0: it's it's not unlike when Hans Gruber. Finally meets John McClane and he's acting like you know just some businessman, and the look on on uh, his face when he goes like you're a policeman, <laughs> he's like holy shit you've been causing all this problem like that's it's it's great it's a great action trope yep, absolutely and, and but but it I love that they stop to do that again this script is smart and it stops to do that to pay that stuff off. Uh, it's just a ton of fun, and then you know, as with all good cop movies in in this era, you got to end with somebody going on a hospital ride. Like somebody's getting in a fucking ambulance and, and going to crack glass before they you know they oxygen them up.
1: Yeah, yeah, you get the you know you get the aforementioned. He's just using you to get to me, and because you know Jake has to go save Mace from the burning building, so he gets to save his father figure when he couldn't save his father. Which he, again, it's cheesy, but it's also a Effective Because the characters establish that groundwork. So it works. In a lesser movie, that scene is just awful. But in this movie, I think it works. You get him. And you know, you get the nice when the ambulance guys are like, are you in or out? And Jake he gets that fucking Brandon Lee smile that just lights up the whole damn screen. And he's like, we're in. And and you just, my God, talk about a movie star, Jay. Like, what a friggin' movie star that guy was even that last scene you're just like i want to see more of this guy i'm all in and then we got unfortunately one more movie and that was it um
0: yeah but i mean you can imagine where this could have launched too and that's the fun part of, of watching this and sort of celebrating what we do have And and that leads us to the part of the podcast where it's time for final thoughts, recommendations and popcorn ratings. Not that we haven't already said them, but let's do it officially here. What are yours for rapid fire?
1: Yeah, I mean, I love this movie. I I think that's become pretty clear. So this is like an extra large popcorn with as many friggin toppings as I can get my hands on to put on it. Uh, I said at the start, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I have no I will fully admit to people listening. I have no ability to be objective about this movie. This movie is a part of my soul. It is one of my favorite movies. It is in my DNA. I have still a framed rapid fire poster that is beat to hell. I just put it in a frame this week. It's beat to hell. I've carried it around since 1992. Uh, And I still just put it in a frame because I'm like, yeah, no rapid fire is going in a frame. So there's probably criticisms that. You will notice that I did not bring up, but I don't care. This is an extra large popcorn for me with an extra large soda and whatever else you can sneak into the theater that you want to eat. I friggin love this thing.
0: I got to tell you, I think it is fun to talk to someone who is a super fan of something and then to also experience it and realize, damn, he's right. Like, this is so good. And I remembered it being good again. When I saw this as as a teenager, I was like, that was fucking cool. And I just never went back to it because I jammed on a lot of other stuff. But when I watched it again, again, all all of it came flooding back. And I'm like, I've probably seen this a dozen times on cable through the years and just not paid attention to it. And now I'm like, you know what? I I have to have this in my collection. So it is now in my collection because I'm like, this is this one's getting on the rotation because it's too good not to. And it's it's a forgotten gem. I think people know know about it because its star had a tragic end, and and it was very shortly after this, so everybody knows that, and it gives the movie a bit of infamy in some ways, but. Just go watch it for being a good action movie and just being a good movie, too. That's the other thing. This movie works on a lot of levels. I've praised the director, the cinematographer. I'll lay one more on Alan McElroy. I think he's a very, very underappreciated screenwriter and still working today and just does great stuff. And this one's so much fun and you deserve a good time. And folks, the other thing about this, we got to mention it's 95 minutes long and it's really about 80. I mean, it is lean and mean and it doesn't waste time, but it gives time to breathe and you get to watch some fun character actors really chew up the screen and, and just have a good time. And again, it's a lot of faces you know from stuff still today but you get to see them here and you're just like oh this is so much fun and you know you're gonna feel the the pangs of, of nostalgia too to go like oh man we really missed an action star a movie star in brandon lee but what we do have is gold every time he comes out on the screen so extra large popcorn for me too and uh, and so glad you brought this one to film strip here so we could have some fun talking about it. I'm glad we finally got you to talk about this movie. Yeah. After yeah. all these years, it's it's about time this one came It,
1: it is. It's one I've wanted to really unload. Uh, I, I really do appreciate it, Jay. Uh, I was so happy when you asked and I, I threw it out there and you were like, yeah, let's do it. Because it's one I've really wanted to unload on. And, and you know, I mentioned I'm do- going to be doing the Brandon Lee series, but I'll be hosting that and, and there will be – um, you know, there's a lot more involved in having to, you know, analytically address the movie. So I, I appreciate just getting to unload my love of this movie uh, <laughs> on this podcast. Uh,
0: I, I, I will say what you and I were texting each other back and forth. I, I sent you a note like, by the way, I forgot how fucking awesome this movie is. And your response was it's so good, dude. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes it is. It is so good. And it's always good to talk to you. Always, mate. Thanks Jay. again for coming always. on Filmstrip. And and please tell folks again how they can follow you, how they can follow everything cool you got going on with Atkins Undisputed and the Dana Bucks.
1: Sure. So you, if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at Hibachi Justice. You can follow me there in Letterboxd. If you want to follow both the Dan- Dana Buckler show and Adkins Undisputed. We are on pretty much every podcast app of choice. You can also go to Linktree slash Adkins Undisputed Pod and Linktree slash Dana Buckler show to find specific links to all of our stuff. I finally I just decided to start doing that because it takes too long to say everything out. So uh, those those two places are the way to go. So, uh, but yeah, you can find us
0: there absolutely thanks again for being here folks thanks for listening to this episode of Filmstrip you can find the entire archives of this show at filmstrippodcast.com that's where you'll find links to all the podcast platforms we're everywhere you know Google, Apple, Spotify you name it we're there leave us a positive review if you can that always helps people find the show you can follow the show's social media at Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram you'll find a link to our link tree which will just take you to all those places anyway uh, from there and interact with the show hosts as well we appreciate the support and I can't say enough how important it is if you like podcasts support independent podcasts like Atkins Undisputed the Dana Buckler show Filmstrip, amateur art tours all these shows you know we have these hosts on as as guest hosts tis the podcast all these folks it's really important y'all like it really is like even if you can't do patreon and stuff like that just subscribe and download the shows uh you know I've been in podcasting a long time and long enough to now see it taken over by celebrities and that's fine that they want to have a voice and say stuff but a lot of us have been around the block for a while <laughs> and it's always fun to to see, hear folks that are just passionate about movies or television or wrestling or whatever it is you're into support independent podcasts that's my my PSA for the day
1: yeah and i'm going to i'm going to second that you know i'm going to also shout out uh the action drunkies because uh Square yes, has been yes. on the show before um, but you know I understand how annoying it can be to go and leave reviews. Sometimes that's why I never tell people I never like beg to leave reviews, but one of the easiest things you can absolutely do go into your podcast app and just set the podcast that you really want to support, set it to auto download. Even if you don't get around to listening to it for a while, it helps us because they track those download numbers. So just set the most recent episode to auto download. And that, that, that is a, two second thing you can do that will really help any independent podcaster
0: out absolutely couldn't have said it better myself so again thank you for being on the show Mike always great to talk with you and again thanks for listening to Filmstrip thank you for listening to Filmstrip